MacCast, Sunday, June 12th, 2022. This episode of the MacCast is brought to you by ZocDoc. More on them later in the show. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's time for your MacCast, the show for Mac Geeks by Mac Geeks. I'm Adam, and this is the show where we discuss all things Macintosh. How you doing? Welcome back to the MacCast. Yep, I know it's been a little while since we have last spoken, but uh, just had some family things that came up, some life things that came up, and uh, yeah, we had to miss a couple episodes. So glad to be back here with you for what is going to be a pretty big one, because we still have to talk about all the things that went down at Worldwide Developer Conference. So we're going to get into all of those announcements. I'm going to give you my thoughts and opinions on all of the OS updates, all the new features and functionality. And hey, we even had some new hardware thrown in there, which was pretty exciting. So I'm excited to talk to you about that. And we're going to get into some additional news. We've got Apple AR VR headset stuff. We have uh, rumors about what's next for Apple and Macs. And we've got some Apple TV Plus news to discuss as well. So a lot of good things to get into in the news for this week. And then going to follow up on a few things from previous episodes of the MacCast. talk about some iPod stories, got some questions or someone who needs some help with their iPhone 8, and a little follow-up to some Apple TV hotel and travel stuff that we've talked about in the past, got a thing I want to talk to you about related to Apple Music and some things that Apple are do- is doing there that I'm not so sure I'm totally thrilled about, and I have a thing of the moment that came in. Actually, it's my thing of the moment, but it was a recommendation from a listener, and I am super excited to tell you about this one. So stay tuned for all of that. But before we get into it, I do want to take a quick moment and thank a show sponsor, and that is Collide. You know, Collide sends employees important, timely, and relevant security recommendations for their Linux, Mac, and Windows devices right inside Slack. Clyde is perfect for organizations that care deeply about compliance and security, but don't want to get there by locking down devices to the point where they become unusable. Instead of frustrating your employees, Clyde educates them about security and device management while directing them to fix important problems. Clyde knows end users are IT admins' most significant untapped resource and the key to solving the most challenging to fix security issues, including instructing developers to set passphrases on unencrypted SSH keys, finding plain text two-factor backup codes and teaching end users how to store them securely, and convincing employees to uninstall evil browser extensions that may sell their browser history. And those are just some of the many use cases not solved by locking down devices. If you've ever worked in an organization where you've had to deal with lockdown devices, you know it can be incredibly frustrating as an end user to feel like you're not trusted. Collide provides a way to work with your end users to educate them and help them protect their own devices working with your IT admins, and that is a much better way to go, in my opinion. You can try Collide with all its features on an unlimited number of devices for free for 14 days, no credit card required. Just visit collide.com slash MacCast to sign up today. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash MacCast 
and enter your email when prompted to receive your free Collide gift bundle after trial activation. Try it out at collide.com slash maccast. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash maccast. And a big thank you to Collide for their support of the show. So Worldwide Developer Conference happened this past week, and as you might imagine, there were a lot of great new updates and announcements made by Apple. A lot of great things for us to talk about. I figure we'll just kind of go in the order that Apple did in the presentation and start off talking about iOS 16. Apple focused a lot on the lock screen and the lock screen experience, specifically providing new ways for personalization. Uh, they're going to allow you to go in and adapt and change the clock font and font colors to kind of match your backgrounds. They also added the ability to put widget information on the home screen, which is really great. You're going to be able to get a lot more information with different widgets. So you could do things like the weather, or maybe you want to have additional calendar information on there. whole bunch of options for customizing that. Uh, you'll be able to change your screens and set up multiple screens based on your focuses. So you could have one lock screen that shows up as you're working throughout the day, or you could have a different one that shows up when you're just hanging out on the weekend. And there's a cool new depth feature that uses Apple's AI technologies to kind of cut out your photos so that you can actually layer the text for the font and the widgets and things slightly behind your photo. So it almost looks like your photo is layered or the text is layered inside your photo, giving you that cool depth feel, which I think looks really, really amazing. Um, Apple also added the ability, and this wasn't in the presentation, but to finally unlock your iPhone in landscape mode with Face ID. That's going to be really handy if you're, say, watching videos or something like that and you have your phone in landscape. It's always been frustrating to uh, have to turn that when we've never had to do that with the iPad. Although right now, something odd, this feature seems currently limited to iPhone 13 only models, at least in the beta. It's not clear if that's going to be a permanent requirement or if that's something that might change before final release. But just a uh, bunch of new features and, and functionality coming Coming to your lock screen. Another thing related to that is Apple did because of the new information and the fact that notifications coming down from the top can often, you can get so many notifications that it kind of covers up your lock screen. They changed that functionality a little bit. So now notifications are going to roll up from the bottom of your display. And Apple is also offering something they're calling live notifications along with an API so that developers can uh, put these into their apps as well. And they're basically notifi notifications that can get additional updates of information. So imagine weather alerts. So a notification for a weather alert that could display additional information that changes over time. Another example would be things like sports scores. If you're trying to follow along in a sports game, or maybe you have a ride sharing app and you're getting updates on uh, when your driver is getting closer to picking you up. So those are all going to be uh, uh, additions to the notifications, which I thought was pretty cool. In messages, uh, we're finally going to be able to edit a message after we send it. I know. How many times have you sent a text message that has a typo in it? You wish you could just go back and change it like you can with some other messaging apps. So you'll be able to do that. You'll also be able to 
um, delete or undo messages that you previously sent. And you can edit and undo messages uh, for up to 15 minutes. So you have a pretty good window. Also, you'll be able to recover recently deleted messages for up to 30 days after they've been deleted. And then you can also, in message threads, go in and mark messages as unread so that you can remember to go back and follow up on them. So sometimes if you're you know, doing a message thread, uh, you'll go in and check something, but maybe you just don't have time to fully read the thread. Uh, you'll be able to mark that as unread so that you know you can come back and get to it later. And then Apple is also trying to extend their share play functionality and are going to allow you to to initiate or start share plays for, say, like a music share or a video from right inside messages. Now, one thing I, I'm curious about, uh, I and maybe I'm just not in the demographic for this, I haven't had an opportunity really to use share play yet. It's not something that I'm doing. I know a lot of us are remote more. And maybe you want to watch a video with friends or family who aren't in the same area. And SharePlay is a great way to do that. But I actually haven't used the feature yet. I'm really curious to try it out and just haven't had the opportunity. So is SharePlay a big thing? I'm kind of feeling like Apple trying to build this into messages is them trying to get more people to maybe use the feature. uh, Because I haven't heard too much about it. And I haven't heard from too many of you in the audience about uh, being big SharePlay users or being particularly excited about this feature. I thought it would be be kind of a big deal, but you know you don't hear about it too much. So let me know if you are using SharePlay, what you're using it for, and if you're enjoying it. Um, another thing that is going to get some great updates in iOS 16 is dictation. Apple's going to try to make it easier to kind of mix text and uh, typing along with dictating and doing changes and updates. So now when you use the dictation feature, the keyboard is going to remain up so you can dictate and then go back and quickly edit, add additional information, do those sorts of things. They're also going to start automatically trying to add punctuation and emojis to your messages to make them uh, more expressive and more accurate. So hopefully that works pretty well. Punctuation can be kind of a difficult thing. I'm kind of curious how it's going to auto do emojis. I think a bigger thing is you'll be able to dictate emojis. Uh, You can also add emojis to messages now, it sounds like, from Siri, which is something that I was always baffled why you couldn't do that before. Although I am going to be curious (laughs) to see how many emojis I actually know what the emoji is called or if there is maybe a keyword to dictating emojis. It's going to be interesting to see how that feature works, but I'll have to give that a try maybe when uh, the beta gets a little more advanced. I'm not one of those people, I don't know if you are, who uh, immediately starts and tries out the beta. Uh, I only have one iPhone and one iPad, so I don't have extra devices to run those on, and I kind of rely on those devices for day-to-day work. And I would actually advise, if you are wanting to play around with the betas, don't do it on your primary primary device, uh, you know, put it on something secondary and and uh, you don't want to have the kinds of issues. A lot of times in the early versions of the betas, especially you can have battery life issues. You can have crashing issues. You just don't want to wind up with a bricked device, but I, I'll be curious to play around with some of the new dictation features. Live text is something that Apple announced, I think, last year, right, where you can actually copy text from a photo or image. That has been extended in iOS 16 to allow you to actually pull text from videos now. And you'll also be able to take quick actions on the text, doing things like currency conversions or translations right on top of 
the photos live and in real time. So that's pretty cool. There's a bunch of new advancements with the AI technologies as they relate to photos and visual lookups. So visual lookups are where uh, the AI will actually identify items that are in your photos, say like a pet or a flower or a plant, and then offer you up additional information. So Apple is expanding that functionality. And you're also going to be able to do things like auto crop out images or basically clip images from a photo. So you can actually like tap and hold on your pet. It will detect the edges of your pet in a photo and you can lift your pet out and put just your pet's image onto another document or into a message and send that to basically build your own little stickers straight from your photos. And they demoed that in the presentation. If you haven't seen it, you might want to go watch it, but it's pretty amazing. If it's half as good as what they showed on screen, I think it's going to be really great. Uh, So I'm looking forward to playing around and, and using that feature as well. When it comes to Apple Pay, Apple announced uh, what we had been or what had been rumored was that they were going to do a pay later program. So uh, they announced Apple Pay later. This is going to allow you to make four equal installment payments over six six weeks when making a purchase using Apple Pay with zero percent interest and zero fees. And this is just going to be built right into Apple Pay. So. Anything that can take Apple Pay will allow you to use Apple Pay later. Um, Goldman Sachs is still serving as the bank that's going to issue MasterCard payment credentials uh, to be used for Apple Pay later purchases. But Apple is actually launching their own subsidiary called Apple Financing LLC that's going to actually handle the credit checks and make decisions on whether or not you can get the loan to use Apple Pay later. So Apple is actually going to be running this program, which is a little bit different. They've always partnered completely with a company like Goldman Sachs for uh, things like Apple Pay. So this is kind of a new venture for them. They still need to use Goldman Sachs because they don't have a bank charter, um, but they are going to be running this Pay Later program. Also, a new addition to the Wallet app is that you're going to be able to do order tracking on your Apple Pay purchases right from inside the Wallet app. This does have to be supported by merchants, so the rollout will go a little bit slowly, although Apple did announce Shopify is going to be the first place that is going to support it. So if you make a purchase through a website that uses uh, Shopify, you're going to be able to track your purchase right inside the Wallet app, which is pretty cool. You don't have to go to any additional app. You don't have to go digging through your emails to kind of find that receipt. I always do that to try try and find my tracking numbers, and it never works out very well. So this should make it a lot, lot easier, and hopefully more and more retailers will bring on support for this feature. Something that is coming to Apple Maps, this might be one of the announcements that I was most excited about. Finally, We're going to get multi-stop routing. We talked about this on the MacCast. A lot of people have been wanting this for years, the ability to set up multiple stops on your route when when you're doing directions in Apple Maps. That is finally coming in iOS 16. Apple says you'll be able to add up to 15 different stops on your journey, and you can actually use Siri to add those stops as you're doing directions, and then it'll just keep continuing on, as opposed to now, I think the way it works is you can 
kind of put in an alternate route or an alternate stop and it just changes those directions and then you have to kind of go back and restart your original directions. So this is going to be super, super handy. And then also Apple announced that uh, their transit directions are ne- are now going to show fares and pricing as well. So that's going to be really, really handy for uh, those folks who rely on transit directions you'll actually be able to know how much that route is going to cost you and in addition to when and where to pick up the uh the route contacts uh the contacts app will now support the finding and merging of duplicate contact records just like it has for years on the mac so another feature that had always been baffling to me i don't know why uh we didn't have finding and merging of duplicates in ios but that is coming in ios 16 and then some features related to news. Uh, Apple announced something called My Sports, which is going to allow you to set up and track your favorite sports teams. And so this will integrate with uh, Apple TV app. It'll integrate with live notifications of sporting events and your sporting apps. Um, so you can set up your favorite teams and it'll kind of tailor uh, your news and your information to your favorite teams. And this is going to be available at first in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. A big new feature coming to photos is around family sharing. And this is another one I think we've talked about a lot here on the MacCast, something we've been wanting for a very, very long time. And that's the ability to have a family shared album. And I don't just mean a shared album, an actual library. So shared library is actually what's coming. Shared iCloud photo library for families. This will allow a family of up to six people to share a single iPhoto library. Uh, iCloud photo library and it's going to be a separate library from your main library uh, and you'll be able to do things like control what photos are in there based on dates uh, based on the people that are included in the photos you'll also be able to manually add photos to that album or move photos to that album Uh, Apple's going to add a new button in the camera app that'll allow you to send photos directly to a shared album so if you were on a vacation or you're hanging out with your family and you want all those all those photos to be gathered together you're going to be able to do that pretty easily it's going to offer intelligent suggestions within the photos app on which photos to share based on participants who might be in those photos who are also in your shared photo library and every user in that shared photo library that has access to it will be able to add delete edit or favorite the shared photos or videos and um, I think that's really cool. Although one thing that does worry me a little bit is the delete feature or the edit feature. So I'm curious to see, you know, will you be able to, I would assume, undelete a photo? Because obviously with um, the current photo library, it goes into the deleted or trashed folder and stays there for up to 30 days. So hopefully you'll be able to recover those photos. I'm also curious about the edits. Um, if you'll have the ability to say, hey, I don't want that person's edits or I don't like the edits on this photo. I want my, my own version. So I'll be curious to see how it works. But just the fact that we are finally getting a family shared li- photo library, I think is amazing. And I think it is something that is long overdue. I know many of you in our community have been wanting this feature for a long, long time. So very excited for this one. And I'm sure I'm going to be using it with my family. Um, Another nice thing that wasn't announced at Worldwide Developer Conference, but kind of came out afterwards related to photos is you are now going to be able to lock uh, hidden and recently deleted albums 
uh, behind a face ID or a touch ID to access them. So if you want, you can set it up so that your hidden photos and your deleted albums and, and photos can't be accessed uh, without entering your face ID or touch ID to be able to access them. So that adds a nice additional layer of security uh, to your photos. The music app is finally getting the ability to have playlist sorting options. I know this is a feature that I've heard from many of you in our community that you've wanted for a while. So out of the box or as they exist currently, playlists are sorted in the order you added the Uh, songs to your playlist. Now you're going to actually be able to go in and sort them by title, by artist, by album, or by release date. And then you can also do a reverse sorting of that playlist. So just swap it from the original way you set it up. So that's a nice new feature coming to Apple Music. Um, For parents and parental controls, Apple says there's a new quick setup for setting up your kids' new devices. So you'll be able to, just in the way, same way you kind of set up your new iPhone when you get it, if your kids get a new iPhone, you will be able to tap to set up their devices and it will transfer over all your parental controls and settings from their old device to their new device. Um, The system will also be able to make some default recommendations for how to set up parental controls based on the age of your child. So another kind of feature that's part of, I think, Apple's family sharing setup. So nice new updates for parents and parental controls there. Um, The Home app is also getting a complete redesign, and Apple says that they're going to be adding support for Matter, which is a new cross-device standard um, built with HomeKit's privacy and security standards in mind, but it's uh, a coalition of smart home device makers like Google and Apple and Samsung and other smart home device manufacturers, and they're all participating in an open standard so that uh, all of the products can work across different platforms, different operating systems, and with different technologies. But again, I think the key important thing here is Apple has added to matter the security and privacy that's built into HomeKit. So that is going to carry along, and Apple's going to be bringing this to uh, iOS and the Home app in the future. It's going to happen, I think, after release, so it's not quite there yet, but it is coming. So hopefully we'll have access to a lot more uh, home devices and things that we can tap into and connect into the Home app and into HomeKit. In addition, the Home app is going to get these new category tabs that allow you to quickly access controls for similar devices. So you can have, say, all of your cameras under Uh, one category and all of your um, thermostats and temperature controls under a category. So that's a nice new addition. The layout is uh, different. You can have all of your devices on kind of a single screen that you can scroll through. And the home app just generally is going to have a much cleaner, I think, simpler to use uh, UI. Now, one thing that is changing that uh, may not be great for some folks is it does seem like the Home app is now only going to support Apple TVs and HomePods as Home Hubs. It looks like as of iOS 16, iPads are no longer going to be able to be used as a Home Hub. And what that means, uh, in case you don't know, is that um, those devices are used for controlling 
your home from when you're outside of your home network. Um, so they act as the entry point when you're out away from your house. And so you'll need to have an Apple TV or a HomePod to be able to connect in from, say, your iPhone when you're away from your home network. Uh, in the past, you could actually use an, uh, an iPad that was left at home and connected to your home network as that hub. Apparently, that's going to no longer be available starting with iOS 16. And it's not really clear why Apple is taking away that functionality, but looks like that is going away. So it's something just to be aware of. Another kind of cool new feature related to AirPods and spatial audio, which is just a great experience. This is the thing where your AirPods can use the head tracking to kind of create a sound space. Um, It's a little bit actually strange when you first hear it but basically it acts just like you're in the room so as you move your video on say your iphone or your ipad the sound moves just as if you were like turning your head in physical space and uh, it's a pretty good experience but apple's making it a little bit better with the true depth camera on the iphone so you can now create a more precise listening experience uh, through a little setup with your AirPods and your phone. And early reviews of it say it actually creates an even better experience. The experience was already pretty good, I thought, but apparently this creates a kind of profile of your ears and where they are spatially (laughs) related to your AirPods and your device and stuff like that and just creates a new, more immersive i guess sound experience so i'm curious to try this one out and and see how that works but anything that can make that listening experience better that's a pretty cool thing another pretty cool thing is carplay and apple says that they are creating a whole brand new carplay experience and it seems like the genesis for this is the fact that many vehicles modern vehicles are now not just having a single display or single screen but actually getting multiple screens so apple says multiple screens so apple says they are working with car makers to allow carplay to work with multiple screens and not only that that uh, CarPlay will be able to access and control a lot of the manufacturer's built-in systems like climate controls, gauges, and stuff like that. So basically, you're going to be able to have CarPlay take out over the all of the controls for the entire car system. And Apple says you'll be able to have themes with different colors and styles for things like your gauges. So if you prefer more analog gauges versus digital gauges, you will be able to swap out, change, and control all of that stuff all through CarPlay. And that's kind of a big deal. And they did throw up a slide uh, with all of the different car manufacturers that say they are going to support this. I think it's going to take a while to roll out. I don't know exactly when we'll see it. Apple says the first vehicles to support the new CarPlay experience are going to be announced in late 2023. So this one's a little ways away. But basically, they showed a really cool like visual of a dashboard all done up if with CarPlay style and Apple style controls and stuff like that. And I have to tell you, it looks amazing. It's basically taking over your entire car system. Now, it's not clear if current vehicle systems will be able to be updated to support the new CarPlay features. 
seems unlikely to me just based on the amount of integration that needs to happen. Maybe some car manufacturers will be able to do it, but it's probably going to be one of those things where it's going to require you to get a new car to get the new support along with the new version of CarPlay. So we'll have to wait and see how that actually pans out. But yeah, CarPlay looks like it is about to completely level up. And, uh, you know, I just got original CarPlay (laughs) recently. I know a lot of you have had CarPlay for a while and I love it. Uh, And to see it getting even leaps and bounds better is a pretty, pretty neat thing. So if you haven't seen the demo of that, again, go watch the Worldwide Developer Conference video and uh, see what's in store for CarPlay. Apple did announce that uh, you'll finally be able to use the fitness app on iOS, on an iOS device, without needing an Apple Watch. They are going to bring the fitness app to iPhone, and you'll be able to use your iPhone's built-in sensors to track things like steps and distance and flight climb, flights climbed, and to track your workouts, even from third-party apps. Uh, they also say they're going to be able to estimate active calories, so you'll be able to put all that information toward your move goal, and you're not going to need an Apple Watch. Obviously, an Apple Watch will help the experience, but at least if you want to get into some of the fitness stuff, uh, you'll no longer have to have an Apple Watch, which is pretty nice. Uh, Another few other kinds of odds and ends with iOS 16. Apparently now in Wi-Fi settings, you'll be able to actually tap a new password area to reveal after authentication the password of the network that you're currently connected to. So something that you can't do now. And um, a rumor that had been kind of floating around was that maybe the next version of iPhone might have an always-on display. I think we talked about this a little bit on the MacCast, and 9to5Mac discovered multiple references to always-on displays in iOS 16. So this does seem to support those rumors that the iPhone 14 Pro models might have a new variable refresh rate with refresh rates that can go down to one hertz, basically allowing them to kind of work like the Apple Watches does now and have like an always-on lock screen. And that would be great to be combined with the new informational features and widgets that are available in iOS 16. So I'm sure that'll be likely part of the announcement for the iPhone in the fall, if that turns out to be a reality, but it's looking more and more likely just based on these references that 9to5Mac found in iOS 16. So that was kind of all the big major new features in iOS 16. Uh, iOS 16 really feels to me like a nice set of revisions and updates and refinements to iOS. I don't really think it any, there's anything in there that is too revolutionary, but you know, again, it's a mature product. It's been around for a while and I think we're getting a lot of really really nice enhancements. Now, one other thing to be aware of is that iOS 16 will require an iPhone 8 or newer or an iPhone SE Gen 2 or newer. Um, and some folks were a little bit upset that the iPhone 7s and 6s models are not being supported, but they will not be supported by iOS 16. So if you don't have an iPhone 8 or newer or an iPhone SE generation 2 or newer, you will not be able to run iOS 16. Something to just be aware of. And again, it should be out, uh, in the fall. 
Apple also talked a little bit about Watch OS 9. Big updates here are watch faces. Uh, you'll be able to do a lot of the styling of the time uh, like you can in iOS 16. There's going to be four new watch faces, Lunar, Playtime, Metropolitan, and Astronomy. Apple's also updating their classic faces to support the new styling and that enhanced depth effect where the time can kind of be layered behind your main image that's in your photo to give that kind of really cool effect. Uh, of course, as you might imagine, a lot of new health and workout features in watchOS 9. You're going to be able to do more metrics. Um, Apple's going to let you set up heart rate zones for monitoring your workout intensities. Uh, you'll be able to add custom workouts where you can set up uh, sets and rest intervals and go through those. They're going to have new alerts for pacing, power, heart rate, cadence, uh, Runners are going to be able to track their stride rank, their stride length, excuse me, ground contact time and vertical oscillation. Uh, really cool feature. If you do the same running route uh, every day, you or walking route, I would assume you'll be able to compete against yourself uh, along the same route. So you can kind of set up a ghost route and see if you're improving your time. Where you know your different. Um, points for pacing and heart rate and all those sorts of things, how those compare. So doing a little bit of self-competition, which is kind of cool. And for swimming workouts, they are going to be adding kickboard detection. So you'll be able to tell when you're doing a stroke versus when you're doing the kickboard portion of your swimming workout. Apple's also adding some new sleep metrics for uh, Apple Watch. So you'll now be able to track sleep stages like REM, core, and deep sleep. And you'll be able to get that those stats uh, when you wake up. And then AFib history, uh, which is something that has been approved by the FDA. And actually that approval came in, I think, just right before uh, Worldwide Developer Conference. That's going to allow you to estimate how frequently, if you suffer from AFib, how frequently your heart rhythm is showing signs of AFib. And you'll be able to track that. And uh, that should be helpful for your overall health. And then uh, another new feature in the health app is Apple is adding the ability to track your medications, your vitamins, and your supplements. So that's going to allow you to do certain things like one really important uh, thing being warning you of any potential drug interactions. So if you're taking one drug and then you're adding another one and you're tracking those medications and there's an interaction, the app will be able to warn you about that. And also you'll be able to do schedule medication reminders and, and those sorts of things. So that's a really handy feature uh, that's going to be built into the health app. WatchOS is going to be supported by Apple Watch Series 4 or later. And then Apple gave what I consider to be probably one of the surprise announcements of Worldwide Developer Conference. I know some folks were expecting uh, new hardware, but I never expect new hardware at Worldwide Developer Conference. So, you know, I was taking all those rumors with a grain of salt. But sure enough, Apple announced the new M2 chip. Uh, it has the same number of CPU cores as the M1 8 but will feature a larger cache. So Apple says it's up to 18% faster. It's also physically larger with 20 billion uh, transistors, which is 25% more than M1. 
And Anantech said the key difference in performance is actually more powerful efficiency cores because Apple's actually using the same 5 nanometer process from TSMC that they do for manufacturing the M1. So the fact that they can get a little more CPU performance out of it is a nice little bit of engineering. Now, moving over to the GPU cores, that is actually up. Apple added two more cores, so the M2 will have 10 versus the M1's 8, and they say that brings up to 35% better graphics performance. They're also upping the amount of memory that's supported. You can now do up to 24 gigabytes of unified memory, and the memory bandwidth has been increased up to 50% to 100 gigabytes per second. Apple says the neural engine now runs 40% faster, so that should help with AI uh, and machine learning tasks. And the video encoders have also been updated with a new high bandwidth video decoder that supports 8K encoding and decoding. So Apple says the M2 now will support multiple 4K and 8K streams at once. So that's great news for you video editors out there. There's also an improved signal image signal processor, ISP, so that should improve webcam quality, according to Apple. And all of this with the same battery life, still 18 hours of battery life for video playback. Uh, one thing on the video, though, even though there's an updated GPU, Apple says that you can still only drive two displays. That means on a MacBook one internal display and only one external display with up to a 6k resolution so that's nice but we were hoping maybe there might be uh, support for dual external monitors with your macbook or your notebook that did not come with the updated m2 so m2 looking like a nice little bump to the processor but not a revolutionary change at least not yet after announcing the new processor, though, Apple did announce the first machines that are going to feature the M2. And I think this was arguably the most exciting announcement at Worldwide Developer Conference because there is a brand new MacBook Air with an incredible new design. It's no longer got that tapered shape of the MacBook Air. It looks more like the new MacBook Pros with that kind of squared edge flat design although it still is incredibly thin just 11.3 millimeters thick and weighing just 2.7 pounds but they reduced the bezels in the display which allows them to actually have a larger 13.6 inch liquid retina display with increased brightness 500 nits up 25 percent from the previous macbook air there is now a notch in the display, but that houses an upgraded 1080p FaceTime camera. So finally, a really nice camera on the MacBook Air. Apple also brought a new sound system. So you got the four-speaker four sound system that supports spatial audio for Dolby Atmos. They have the improved mic array, the three mic array with the studio quality microphones. And more importantly... You can now use both Thunderbolt 4 USB 4 ports 
while charging because they added the MagSafe connector. And then over on the other side, you still have a headphone jack, a 3.5 millimeter headphone jack that does support high impedance headphones. There are a couple of new colors, so it still comes in silver and space gray, but you can also get it in the new Starlight and a midnight black color. Now, something to note, uh, a lot of the hands-on reviews have come through, and the midnight color is basically the midnight that is also available on the Apple Watch, so it has a slight blue cast to it. And in some of the hands-on reviews, a few reviewers noted that it does seem to attract fingerprints a little bit more than some of the other colors. So while it looks really, really great, it feels like the black MacBook is back. Uh, Just something to be aware of if you're thinking about getting that particular color. The The new MacBook Air does support fast charging, but if you want to get that, you'll have to get the optional 67 watt charging brick. Uh, Out of the box, it either comes with, depending upon your configuration, because there's kind of two standard configurations, a 30-watt USB-C charger, or there's also a new 35-watt USB-C compact charger that comes with the MacBook Air, and that does have dual USB-C ports on it, which is nice. That also is available in a standard form factor, although it's the compact version that comes with the new higher-end configuration of the MacBook Air. The new MacBook Air pricing starts at US $1,199, so that's about $200 more than the price of the current M1 MacBook Air. That M1 MacBook Air is actually still staying in the lineup. It's going to be sold still at the same price, $999. So Apple didn't uh, lower the price of the M1 MacBook Air. They kept it at the same price, and they're actually selling the new MacBook Air for about $200 more. Uh, it will be available next month. And like I said, it looks like an amazing new notebook. It's Apple's most popular notebook. I expect them to sell an absolute ton of these. So if you've been holding off for a new MacBook Air, this is definitely the one to jump in and get. Now, this wasn't the only new machine that Apple uh, updated with the M2. They also released a new or an updated 13-inch M2 MacBook Pro. It got the upgrade. It still starts at $1299, although you can get uh, memory upgraded up to 24 gigabytes because of the new M2. Other than that, though, Everything on the 13-inch M2 MacBook Pro remains the same, exactly the same, as the 13-inch M1 MacBook Pro. So that means everything down to and including, uh, unfortunately, the touch bar. Because the new MacBook Air has that nice full-height function row and the physical touch ID button. Um, you know, you're still going to have the touch bar with the 13-inch MacBook Pro. And unfortunately, to me, it makes it seem like the 13-inch MacBook Pro is kind of really a bad deal versus the MacBook Air, especially if you spec them exactly the same. So if you take the 1499 MacBook Air and compare it to the 1499 MacBook Pro, 13-inch MacBook Pro M2, the Air has a larger screen. It has MagSafe, it has full height function keys, it has a better webcam. 
really the only advantage of the MacBook Pro is that it does have active cooling, which in theory should allow it to do more sustained performance for a longer period of time. And it does have slightly more battery life. But really currently, if you're in the market for an M2 machine, I really think the MacBook Air is going to be the better way to go for probably 99% of people. That There's got to be a small slice of people that actually need the active cooling of the 13-inch MacBook Pro and that you know couple hours of extra battery life. But if you were asking me, I would say, hey, get the 13-inch M1 or M2 MacBook Air. It's a much, much better deal. But amazing new machine and uh, really excited to see these when they come out. And then Apple let us in on which uh, California city is going to be the new city for macOS 13, and it is Ventura. A uh, big new feature in Ventura is the new Finder Manager, something Apple is calling Stage Manager. This brings your working windows and your app into the foreground and then takes other groups of apps and other windows and sort of slides them off to little groupings on the side to kind of allow you to focus on uh, the specific window or app that you're working in. And then you can click between apps and windows and it'll sort of rotate and slide in and out windows and those sorts of things. It's really the latest version of Apple trying to help us manage multiple windows, multiple desktops and those sorts of things. So we've had desktops for a while. We've had things like mission control for managing windows and finding apps and stuff like that. This feels like the next iteration of this. It looks really cool. I'm really curious to see how this works in actual practice. I get the idea of trying to kind of group apps and windows together and kind of create these workspaces that you can switch between. Um, but, but we've kind of had that with spaces a little bit. And this actually feels a little less efficient just because you've got this extra little bit of real estate sort of on the side that gets eaten up. And so it doesn't feel to me like you're really maximizing your window space. Um, but that's just how it looked to me from the demo. It, it creates a really cool demo and I get what Apple is trying to do with this, but I'll be curious to see again, if stage manager is something that we actually use in practice, just like a lot of these other things. Um, I know there's a lot of people out there that use desktops and spaces and those sorts of things. And I know that I occasionally will use mission control to help me find windows and kind of manage through things. But these are not big uh, finder features. I think that I use day in and day out. I pretty much am pretty old school when it comes to that stuff. So I'd be curious to know, you know, are you excited about this new stage manager feature? Do you use a lot of the other sort of window management features that are built into Mac OS? And if you do, what features are you using and what kind of tips and tricks might you have for the rest of us. Maybe I'm just not leveraging what's in there already. And then for the future, I'd be curious to hear maybe if you're running the beta, what you think about Stage Manager. So if you want to give me some feedback, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. Apple's also adding a new continuity feature to macOS Ventura. This is going to allow you to use your iPhone as your web camera. 
Uh, it's really, I think, an extension of continuity camera. I think they called it continuity camera. Continuity camera is currently a feature of Handoff, which lets you use your iPhone to take a photo and insert an image into a document. This is going to allow you to take your iPhone and actually use it as your webcam. So you can actually put it on a little stand above your monitor or attached to your laptop. Apple's going to be working with Belkin to actually create stands. And then you can use your iPhone's great camera or multiple cameras to be able to use that for video conferencing. And it will be supported um, by Apple's own you know, FaceTime as well as by third-party apps um, there is going to be support for center stage. So you'll be able to do the kind of panning and zooming with the wide angle lens, also portrait modes. So you'll be able to do things like blur the background and have different lighting effects. Uh, and with the wide angle camera on your iPhone, Apple's also adding a view called desk view, which lets you actually display your physical desktop. I'm, I'm talking about the de- the desktop that your your Mac is actually sitting on and not the desktop on your Mac. So you can show somebody what's on your desktop. I guess if you're taking notes or wanted to display something almost like a, uh, you know, heads up projector or whatever to, to show your physical desktop of your working space. So I'm not sure how many people are going to ad- take advantage or use that. I guess maybe in educational environments that might come in handy. But the ability to use your iPhone camera, probably the best camera that you have as your webcam, that's going to be nice, especially for those of us that have Apple's older laptops that have the lower quality 720p cameras. So it'll be fun to play with that. Another thing related to this is also in handoff, you're now going to be able to hand off your FaceTime calls between devices. So if you start a FaceTime call, say on your iPhone, and then maybe you're walking around and you go sit down at your desk, you can seamlessly seamlessly hand that off from your iPhone to your Mac and continue that conversation. Spotlight features have also been expanded with macOS Ventura. Uh, You're going to be able to index additional things like photos and live text. So you'll be able to search through that from your spotlight searches. You're also going to be able to use Quick Look from within Spotlight. And you'll be able to run shortcuts from within Spotlight as well. So that's going to be really handy for automations, right? To be able to search for an automation and just, boom, run that shortcut right from within Spotlight. Safari is gaining some new sharing features in the form of tab sets that you can share with others. And uh, you'll be able to kind of live interact with those. If if you're sharing your tabs, someone will be able to click on that. They'll be able to add additional tabs to that shared set. And everybody's going to get that update in real time. Apple's also adding support for FIDO-compliant security keys Apple's version of this is something they're calling pass keys, which are cryptographically generated keys that will sync between your iCloud keychain. And sites that support FIDO will allow you to use Touch ID or Face ID to log in using your pass keys instead of requiring a password. So this is really designed to replace passwords in the future. And as more and more sites support this, 
um, it's going to be really handy. So you'll be able to just generate this cryptographic key with your pass key, and that'll be what's used for doing logins. You'll no longer have to remember those passwords. You'll just give that to the website, and uh, that will be activated through your Face ID, Touch ID integration with Apple's iCloud keychain. So that's the future of where we're supposedly going. Uh, that'll up security, and uh, then you're not going to have to remember all those passwords. Messages is going to be getting the same updates uh, for Mac OS that it is for iOS. So you're going to be able to, you know, recall messages, uh, delete messages, all those sorts of things. Um, one thing to note about the dictation features, the new dictation features, emoji support apparently is not going to be available for Intel Macs. I'm not really sure why that is but emoji support and dictation is going to be an apple silicon feature only mail is also getting support for undoing sends although you only get about 10 seconds so it's really just going to be for those kind of oops moments uh, i didn't mean to send that you can instantly recall it um, you're also going to be able to schedule your email sends in mail and you will be able to flag emails to be reminded to follow up. So how many times have you had that situation where you're like, I need to reply to this email, but I don't want to do it right now. You'll be able to set up a reminder uh, to come back and uh, make sure that you don't forget to reply to those important emails. So those mail features are also going to be available in iOS as well. Photos is also going to support the new family shared photo album. Uh, so you'll be able to do that. There's also going to be a new find duplicates photo feature. I think this is going to be really handy. Actually, this is something we talked about recently on the MacCast. How do I clean up and find duplicate photos in my photo library? Apple's going to actually have this built in now. And what it's going to do, I think it works in a really great way. It's going to group possible duplicates to an album where you can review them and then you can merge those photos. And what does merging mean? Merging means that it's going to maintain information like your favorites, your keywords, and your captions. So if you've happened to tag information on all of the duplicates, it's going to merge that information together. And I think most importantly for me, because I've seen situations where I think what I have for my duplicate is actually a thumbnail, like a lower quality thumbnail, but it's hard to tell when I'm just looking in photos without, you know, getting info on it and actually looking at uh, the photo information. So what merging will do is it'll take the highest quality image or video, and that is the version that it is going to keep when you actually merge your duplicates. So I think that's going to be really, really handy. And then another cool new feature that's coming in photos is the ability to copy and paste the edits from one photo to another. So if you have a photo that you've applied some uh, image adjustments and editing to, you'll be able to copy that and apply it to other photos in your library. Another really cool thing is now you will be able to undo or redo your edits one step at a time. So rather than just having to go back and revert to original and reapply all your edits to a photo, if you want to just undo a couple of them or redo a couple of them, you'll be able to do those one by one, which that's going to be really handy as well. On the graphics and gaming side of things, Apple announced Metal 3 
And that was pretty exciting. Uh, Apple announced some additional games that are coming, uh, specifically No Man's Sky coming to iPad, which I think is really cool. Uh, we'll have to see if additional games and additional gaming support come along. Apple's always seemed to struggle with that a little bit. I'm not sure that just having Metal 3 is going to be the thing that brings AAA titles to the Mac, but we can always hope. Um, the weather and clock apps are going to be making their way to the Mac as well. So those, I think, are long overdue. And there's actually a new weather API uh, that third-party apps and developers are going to be able to tap into as well. And I've already seen some kind of interesting things coming out related to that. Um, Another big update that seems to be getting some mixed reviews is Apple has completely redesigned system preferences. It's looking a lot more closely matched to the settings in iOS. And as a matter of fact, they've also renamed system preferences to system settings. So this one's proving to be a little bit controversial. Um, I've seen the images and it's going to be a big, I think, mental change, but I don't really see it you know, changing too much. It might even be a little bit easier, I think, when you have all of your settings in a list to actually find the settings that you're looking for. But some people are uh, not liking this one so far. So if you, again, are playing around with the betas, I'd be curious to know your thoughts and opinions on the new system settings. As far as which Macs support macOS Ventura, it will be able to be run on an iMac 2017 or later, an iMac Pro 2017 or later, a MacBook 2017 or later, MacBook Airs 2018 or later, MacBook Pros 2017 or later, Mac Minis 2018 or later, Mac Pros 2019 or later, or of course the new Mac Studios that came out in 2022. So pretty much most Macs 2017 or later, which I think is pretty amazing. Here we are in 2022 and you can run the latest version of macOS on machines that are that old. Uh, always there's going to be certain groups of people who are left out and feel a little bit disappointed that they won't get the new features. But again, looking at macOS Ventura, I think it's like a lot of the other OS updates that Apple announced this year at Worldwide Developer Conference. These are a lot of nice enhancements and revisions. There's nothing truly revolutionary or game-changing, I think, in here. These are just a lot of really nice feature updates and enhancements. And then Apple kind of saved iPad OS 16 for last. Uh, really, the big news they're trying to push here is a new windowing and multitasking interface that leverages the stage manager that it, they showed off for Mac OS. I mean, it is kind of a big deal. You now have the ability to resize app windows and overlap app windows. Um, but all these new features are going to require that you have an M1 iPad. So it's not even something that's going to be available to, I think, the majority of iPad owners. It's going to be a nice new feature as people upgrade or if you have a newer iPad. But again, the stage manager interface in general to me feels like it's not really optimizing the space. And so I don't know, maybe I I bought into Apple's philosophy around the iPad that it really is a one app, one window at a time sort of device. And I'll be curious to see 
how advantageous overlapping and resizing windows are on an iPad. I know it's a feature that people have wanted for a very, very long time. I just don't know if this implementation is the implementation for it. So it'll be, I'll be curiously watching early reviews and, and I will be curious to hear from you if you like the new resizing overlapping windows and stage manager on iPad OS 16. Uh, there are additional desktop app style features that Apple's bringing to iPadOS, specifically the ability to do find and replace in text apps sort of out of the box. So a lot of text apps will get find and replace features, which is really nice. There's going to be reference color modes, but again, this is really limited to only the newest M1 iPads. So that's great for digital artists and folks like that, but you are going to have the latest and need to have the latest and greatest M1 iPads, iPad Pros. Um, you'll be able to do display scaling to change pixel density for apps that are running in split view mode. That allows you to see more of the app, sort of leverage the limited space that you have a little bit more in split view, which again, nice enhancements, but I just don't know how many people are really going to benefit from this. Just like on macOS, Apple is bringing the weather app to iPad. Finally, again, some of these things are really weird. Like, I don't know why it's taken so long for the weather app to show up on the iPad and the Mac, but we are going to get that with this update. And then there were a lot of sharing features related to iPad OS, specifically document sharing features. So you're going to be able to actually share documents from apps like Pages, Keynote, Numbers, Safari, um, and what's cool about the sharing here is you just get a link and you're not actually copying the document like you do now over to another person, but you're going to be actively sharing the document that you're working on. Everything's going to be synced up via iCloud and you'll be able to see updates and, and changes and work collaborative, collaboratively on your iPad documents. And along with this, Apple gave a preview of a new whiteboarding application they're calling Freeform that can be used during a FaceTime call. And that'll let you share and annotate images, notes, scribbles, documents, web links, PDFs, and a whole lot more. It has Apple Pencil support. And so that looks really, really handy, especially if you're working in a remote team. Um, and I guess you're all on Mac and iOS devices, but, um, I'll be curious to play around with this one. You know, there's a lot of whiteboarding apps and, and options out there, but having this built into the operating system, I think is a great way to go. And especially with Apple pencil support, I think it's going to be really, really handy for a lot of people. And then speaking of, uh, handwriting and Apple pencil support, another kind of cool new feature of notes is it's going to have the ability to straighten your handwriting. So if you don't have kind of the best handwriting and you're taking handwritten notes in the notes app with an Apple pencil on your iPad, you're going to get a little, little help from the AI engine that's built into iOS. And of course, a lot of these features are going across um, iOS and iPadOS. So a lot of really good things to look forward to. A lot of them, we're going to have to you know, get them in our hands and play around with them before we really figure out how useful they are, how how uh, much they're going to actually change the game for us on a day-to-day -day basis. But Overall, very excited about the announcements at Worldwide Developer Conference. Again, a lot of nice refinements and enhancements, in my opinion. Super excited about the new M2 MacBook Air. Again, I think Apple's going to sell a ton of these machines. And if you're in the market for one, 
I'm sure you're very, very excited as well. But that's all of the announcements and things to go over related to Worldwide Developer Conference. If you have any feedback for me on any of these announcements or if I missed anything, there's something you're really excited about that I didn't cover, shoot me an email, send me an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. Now, one thing that some thought we would see at Worldwide Developer Conference was an announcement related to Apple's AR VR headset. I really didn't think that was going to happen, but a report in the New York Times claims that it didn't happen because Apple has had some issues Uh, most recently with performance and thermal issues that led to delays that Apple had sort of hoped to have the announcement earlier, but things have been delayed. You may or may not remember that Apple reportedly hired engineer, an engineer from Dolby Technologies, Mike Rockwell, to lead the AR VR project. Supposedly, he kind of walked into a big old mess with an underpowered processor, battery life issues, a number of other things, and had immediately set to working hard to kind of getting the AR VR headset project back on track. Uh, We know that Apple's been pushing for this headset design that is ultra lightweight and as comfortable as possible. As a matter of fact, recently or in this report from the New York Times, they described the headset as looking like a pair of ski goggles, which is actually a pretty big compliment. If they've got them down to just that simple of a design, uh, this could look really, really great. Um, There was a belief that the project is getting very close to actually being completed, which was kind of driving a lot of the rumors, thinking that we would see an announcement at Worldwide Developer Conference. Apple reportedly has already given demos to their board of directors. So we are getting close, but seems like not close enough for Apple to be able to make an announcement just yet. Uh, The report also said that Apple has been looking to some of the Hollywood talent they've been working with on Apple TV Plus projects to kind of drive new and innovative content and experiences for the AR VR headset. One name that was thrown out in the rumors was John Favreau, who actually executive produced on the new Apple TV Plus series Prehistoric Planet. Uh, which is supposed to have some amazing CG dinosaurs. I have not actually had a chance to watch that series yet, but a lot of you have raved about it. The report is claiming that he's working to bring the show's dinosaurs to life in the headset. And the story goes that Apple is looking for additional uh, kind of Apple TV content and and, uh, video content to bring to the new headset. So a lot of people very excited about the headset. The same New York Times reports says that Apple's also working on software tools that would help developers work with the camera and voice systems in the headset to allow for a hands-free navigation experience to make navigating the device a lot easier. And analyst Ming-Chi Kuo believes that Apple was possibly hoping to have the headset ready for a public release in the first quarter of 2023, but now he feels like it's actually been delayed at least until the second quarter of 2023. But he does believe that we could see Apple entering into engineering validation testing in the next three months. And depending on the results of that, we could have Apple making an announcement with developer units being available sometime in early 2023. And I would assume then followed by a public release in the second half or second quarter 
of 2023. So it's looking like the headset's on track maybe to make a debut next year, but we're just going to have to wait and see if that actually happens. I think, you know, ultimately it's in Apple's best interest to make sure that the device is completely ready to go, that it's well thought out, that it has a great operating system and that it has a great out of the box experience because as we know, we've been hearing that it's going to be actually a pretty pricey device early on. And I think Apple's just going to have a ton of eyes and a lot of really harsh critics to deal with. So they really need to get this one, I think, right right out of the box. And taking a little bit of extra time, making sure that experience is perfect, is I think ultimately going to be the right move. So I'm actually really glad when I hear that Apple's delayed things to make sure that they get, you know, the design, the user experience, the battery life, all of those things just right. Um, and, you know, it's going to be an interesting product. I, I don't know that AR VR is something that I'm really, really into or a lot of people are into yet. But if anybody can kind of make it a more mainstream thing, I think Apple has a chance to do that. And so I'm excited to see what happens maybe in the first half of 2023. As you might imagine, now that we have Apple's official announcement of the M2, there's begun to be a lot of rumors about what other kinds of M2 systems might uh, be on the way. There's rumors floating around like right now that Apple is developing a 14.1-inch mini-LED ProMotion display iPad to uh, feature the M2. The first rumor came from a tweet from an account called Majin Boo, which has recently had success predicting iPad OS 16 rumors. And then reliable display analyst Ross Young also claimed that his sources say such an iPad is in development and likely to be announced in early 2023. The Majin Boo account also said that there would likely be M2 versions of the 11-inch model, although they say that one would have no major changes, and there would be an M2 update to the 12.9-inch iPad Pro model as well, but with reduced bezels, and I would imagine a slightly larger display. The two rumors seem to differ a little bit on the timing, though, with Boo hinting that the release could come sooner at a fall event, which is actually in line with recent comments from Bloomberg's Mark Gurman. He thinks Apple will be making an announcement of a new 14-inch iPad or larger iPad in the fall. Gurman was actually the first to postulate that Apple was actually planning a larger 14-inch version of the iPad Pro. Bloomberg is also reporting that Apple is planning on a 15-inch MacBook Air for 2023, along with a new 12-inch laptop and upgrades to the 15 or to the 14-inch rather and 16-inch MacBook Pro models. They called the 15-inch model a quote wider version of the 13.6-inch MacBook Air. They also say that Apple has begun work on a new 12-inch laptop and is considering launching it at the end of 2023 or in early 2024. Now, they didn't give a lot of details on that 12-inch model, though the Twitter leaker, Majin Boo, claims that the 12-inch model would be a smaller version of the 14-inch and 16-inch MacBook Pro models featuring an M2 Pro and M2 Max chips, which that's fairly interesting to think about that Apple would go with a smaller form factor but with those pro level processors so something below 
the 13-inch MacBook Pro with an M2, I find that a little bit hard to believe. I, I'm trying to visualize this lineup, but I do know that way back when, a 12-inch version of a Pro Mac laptop was super, super popular. So a lot of people have wanted that model back for a very, very long time, and maybe this is the thing that Apple releases to appease them. Now, with the 14-inch and 16-inch upgrades, they would be updated to the M2 Pro and M2 Max versions, although they're not expected to have any real radical design changes, so it would mostly be a processor bump, although the processors could use TSMC's new updated 3 nanometer manufacturing process, which would increase the performance. Supposedly, the chips would include 12 main processing cores and up to 38 graphics cores, That would be up from a maximum of 10 processing cores in the current M1 Pro and M1 Max and 32 graphics cores in those current models. So they would offer some really nice updates to the current M1 Pro and M1 Max versions. And of course, we would expect to see ultimately versions of the M2 Ultra as well and uh, new probably desktops and maybe even uh, Mac Pro machines finally making their way to the lineup, but we'll just have to wait and see what the future holds. And then finally in the news for this week, we'll wrap things up with some Apple TV Plus news. Apple has picked up a new film called Blitz from from Academy Award-winning director Steve McQueen, according to Deadline. McQueen won the Academy Award for Best Picture for his film 12 Years a Slave in 2014. This new project for Apple TV Plus will be a war drama focused on the stories of Londoners during the Blitz of World War II. The project is currently in pre-production so no word on when we can expect to see it on Apple TV+. It also looks like after about five months, Apple TV Plus has landed the rights for a new Formula One racing film starring Brad Pitt. This is according to The Hollywood Reporter. The untitled film is from Joseph Kosinski and writer Aaron Kruger and will be produced by Jerry Bruckheimer and Chad Oman. The most interesting thing about this deal for Apple seems to be around its theatrical run. It will have a minimum theatrical run of at least 30 days or as high as as 60 days. And Apple will have to split the take from the theatrical run 50-50. Apple also announced a new genre-bending series called Sugar that will star Colin Farrell, who will also serve as an executive producer on the series. The series is from creator and executive producer Mark Pertosevich, who is who has worked on The Cell, I Am Legend, and Thor, and is set to be directed by Academy Award nominee Fernando Morelis, who did City of God, Constant Gardener, and Two Popes. And finally, Deadline is reporting that Apple Original Films and Nike's production label, Waffle Iron Entertainment, are teaming up to produce sports-based films for Apple TV+. Not a lot of details on what will be pre- what they will be producing, but Apple and Nike have teamed up on other projects like the Nike Apple Watch, so it's not surprising to see Apple working with Nike on uh, new content for Apple TV+. And with that, that is going to do it for the news for this week. Before we move on, I do want to take a quick moment and thank another couple show sponsors, starting with 
ZocDoc. You know, there are some amazing doctors out there, but really the only ones that matter are the ones who actually take your insurance. With ZocDoc, you can focus on doctors who are in-network, putting you on the path to see doctors who are right for you. No more wasting time hunting down Aunt Shirley's cash-only chiropractor or the dentist your coworker recommended who's out of your network. The thing I love best about ZocDoc is knowing I can find an in-network doctor who can see me within days, not weeks. ZocDoc is a free app that shows you doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, and are available when you need them. You can read up on local doctors, get verified patient reviews, and see what other real humans had to say about their visit. So when you walk into that doctor's office, you're set up to see someone in your network who gets you. Go to ZocDoc.com, choose a time slot, and whether you want to see a doctor in person or do a video visit, and just like that, you're booked. Find the doctor that's right for you and book an appointment that works for your schedule. Every month, millions of people use ZocTalk, and I'm one of them. It's my go-to whenever I need to find and book a doctor. In the chaotic world of healthcare, let ZocDoc be your trusted guide to find a quality doctor in a way that is surprisingly pain-free. Go to ZocDoc.com slash MacCast and download the ZocDoc app for free Then start your search for a top-rated doctor today, many available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash MacCast, ZocDoc dot com slash MacCast, and a big thank you to ZocDoc for their support of the show. And I'd also like to thank my show sponsor, Simply Safe. You all know I love the break-in protection that my Simply Safe home security gives me, but it's not always outside forces that you need Simply Safe's protection from. This is Terry's story, a Simply Safe customer. Terry was away for the weekend for her daughter's wedding. The morning of the big day, she got a call from Simply Safe's 24 7 professional monitoring center. They let her know that her system had detected water in her basement. And in moments like this, time is critical because even an inch of flooding can cause more than $25,000 in damage. Thankfully, Simply Safe had detected the water just moments after the leaking had started. And after talking to Simply Safe, Terry called her neighbor who quickly turned the water in her home off before the flooding got bad. Protecting against floods is just one of the reasons more than 4 million people trust their home protection to Simply Safe. With a comprehensive Simply Safe system and 24-7 professional monitoring, you can have someone who's always looking out for you, just like Terry. Plans cost under $1 a day with no long-term contracts or hidden fees ever. The expandability and flexibility of Simply Safe for me is one of the things that really makes it great. Now, I don't have a basement, but we have a pretty large yard, so the ability to easily add additional wireless outdoor cameras is perfect for my monitoring needs. It lets me keep an eye on my property even when I'm not there, and even if mostly all I see is the rabbits and squirrels running around the yard. But That's fine because the key is I know my home is safe and protected. You can customize the perfect system for your home in just minutes at simplysafe.com slash MacCast. Go today and claim a free indoor security camera plus 20% off with interactive monitoring. Go to simplysafe.com slash MacCast. That's S-I-M-P-L-I-S-A-F-E dot com slash MacCast simplysafe.com slash maccast and a big thank you to simplysafe for their support of the show
So back a couple of weeks ago when Apple announced that they had discontinued the iPod Touch, which basically signaled the end of the iPod era, I asked you to share any iPod stories that you had so we could kind of reminisce together. And never did I imagine that one of those stories would actually be about my own iPod. In that episode, I discussed the fact that I slightly regretted selling my original 5 gigabyte FireWire iPod for parts on eBay after it broke. I basically wanted to be able to fund the purchase of my second iPod, a second generation iPod. And that's exactly what I did. So I got a replacement, but I had totally forgotten that that second generation iPod I had sold to one of my coworkers, Eric. And lo and behold, after that episode, I actually received an email from Eric who I hadn't heard from in a while and apparently still a listener to the show. And he offered to actually send that iPod back out of his museum. And he even included a photo of that iPod sitting in his little collection. And while it was very, very nice of Eric to offer that, I absolutely declined because I'd hate to break up his museum. But there's my story. How awesome is that? This iPod lives on and apparently it even still works. And I have no doubt that it does. I actually own several older iPods, including a 40 gigabyte iPod photo, and they all still work really, really great, though many of them could probably use new batteries. I don't think they all hold a charge for very long, but I can definitely plug them in. I can connect them to my Mac. The Mac still recognizes them. I'm still able to sync content to them. It is really, really amazing. I think the iPod is one of the best products that Apple has ever made in all of its various forms and form factors and stuff like that. And I know everybody kind of has has their favorite. I'm kind of partial to those original bulky white ones, uh, just because they were so cool when they kind of came out. And even now you look at them and uh, they look like ancient devices, right? Compared to the slick, slim iPhones and things we have now, or even a new modern iPod touch, but still a really, really great product and really changed the world, right? If there's uh, products, if you start to make a list of all the products that Apple has put out that have made it, quote unquote, the Steve Jobs dent in the universe, I think there's no arguing that the iPod is definitely one of those products. So there's my little iPod story. If you have a great old iPod story that you want to share, please share it with us. I'd love to get some audio comments. Uh, It really could be anything. Just send it in maccast at gmail.com every once in a while um, I will receive a request for help from a listener and I wind up a little bit stumped and this happened over the past couple weeks when Mia wrote in to say that she was having issues with the mics on her iPhone 8 plus basically when on a phone call the people she would talk to would claim they could hardly hear her on the other end. She tried doing some troubleshooting and actually with a headset on, everything is was fine with the iPhone, so assumed that there was some sort of microphone issue. But then she tried other apps that would use the mic, like recording a voice memo, and that audio was just fine. And also making calls in other apps like Messenger 
those were fine as well. So it only seemed to be a problem when she was using the phone app or using the iPhone as a phone with the built-in microphone. The device is running the latest version of iOS 15.5. So maybe there's an issue with older devices and that OS update. I kind of emailed Mia and that didn't seem to be the problem. And I haven't heard of any specific issues related to the microphones in older iPhones and iOS 15.5. So I don't think that's what it was. Um, she already tried rebooting the phone, removing the SIM card and putting it back in and resetting the network settings. The only suggestion I could find online was making sure that, um, you reset the microphones on a phone call just to be sure that the device was using the built-in iPhone mic to do that. You would do a call, you would open control center, tap on the air play icon while on the call tap uh, in the upper right hand corner of the now playing controls and make sure you select iphone instead of speaker so just basically making sure that it's like not on speakerphone um, but that didn't seem to help either the only other thought i had was maybe the issue was with noise cancellation or the mic that controls that maybe that thing is malfunctioning in, in some way or maybe even the hole was blocked. That was another idea is, you know, is there kind of lint in the microphone holes? She checked all those, made sure they were free and clear of any dust and debris. So that didn't seem to be it. <clears throat> Ultimately, she went to an Apple certified repair shop. They tested the microphones and said that the bottom ones in their test had failed. Now, this was really odd because they told her they couldn't replace the microphones and she basically needed to buy an entirely new phone. And that is really not accurate or true. I'm not sure why they would have said that. Uh, the repair is actually to replace the lightning cable assembly, assembly, the complete assembly. It's a really gnarly repair, <laughs> to be sure. You basically have to disassemble the entire iPhone. But iFixit has full instructions. I'll link to them in the show notes at maccast.com. They also sell the parts, the assembly kit tools along with the assembly kit and tools for us 29.99 so it's not an expensive part to repair even though it's probably going to be time consuming you're going to have to be careful uh, how you do it so if you want to try the repair yourself mia again i'll have a link to the to the parts and information in the show notes at matcast.com but really the weird thing about them saying that the microphones were actually defective is she went back, tested a FaceTime audio call that should absolutely be using the bottom mics. And that call, she said, sounded fine. According to my research, voice memos should also use the bottom mics. So if that was working, that should be okay as well. Um, FaceTime video, Siri, and other apps tend to actually use the mic on the front. So that could be an indication of mic issues. Uh, ultimately, the only advice I finally had was to personally contact Apple to Apple support to see if they could do like a mail-in repair and what they might charge for that. But still, I'm really left pondering the mystery as to why it seemed like only phone app calls were impacted. So I'm going to turn this one out to you and the community. I've kind of shared the information with you. I've shared some of the troubleshooting that we went through back and forth on email, but I'm curious if anyone else has had issues like this, and is there something that could be non-hardware related? Is there some sort of non 
hardware repair solution or is the advice to just move forward and try and get a hardware repair the best idea? Like I said, the parts are not very expensive if you want to try a DIY repair. Chances are if you contact Apple and they do offer up a repair, it's probably going to not be worth as much. So maybe that's why you got the odd advice from the Apple Repair Center to just update the phone. I mean, an iPhone 8 Plus is not super old, but it's not exactly the newest device out there either. So it may just be time for a hardware update, and that may not be a bad bit of advice. But again, maybe someone in the MacCast community has the magic bullet, has the solution. It's happened before. If you do, shoot us an email, send us an audio comment, maccast at gmail.com. I'm afraid you're just too damn loud. Either a clever movie reference and bonus points if you can name the movie and who said it, or what listener Charles said after plugging his Apple TV into several Marriott hotel sets on a recent road trip to pick up his kid from college. What's cool about this story is Charles got to try out the new Apple TV update that allows you to connect your Apple TV to a captured Wi-Fi network like in a hotel. So he was traveling, took his Apple TV with him. And if anybody's ever done this, I know I have and tried to plug into a hotel TV. It's kind of hit and miss, right? Whether you can get it connected, especially if you can get it hooked up to the Wi-Fi. I usually end up just using my Wi-Fi hotspot on my phone. But Apple added a new new feature to the update that lets you use the captured hotel Wi-Fi network. And Charles said this actually worked really, really well. All he had to do was connect the Apple TV to the television via HDMI and then go to the Wi-Fi settings of the Apple TV. You choose the hotel Wi-Fi and then it will detect that it's on a captured network and prompt you to finish the setup on your iOS device. And so then you can put in the hotel password or get past the captured network setup and boom, your Apple TV is ready to go. And that all worked fine for Charles, but he had an issue after connecting that anything that he played was played at full volume over the TV set and he could not control the volume of the television either with the Apple remote or even the hotel's built-in remote. And so he emailed to let us know about this because it didn't happen at every uh, hotel or every set, but it did happen at enough of them that he did a little bit of investigating to try and figure out what was going on. And what he noticed was that the sets that were having this issue had a little black box that sat between the electric outlet, the cable in, and the HDMI inputs and outputs uh, prior to going into the TV. And it seems to be that that prevented him from being able to control the volume of the TV, either in either with the Apple TV remote or the hotel TV remote. So the key to fixing this issue was that the box had this telephone line style cable that was plugged into a port labeled MTI MPI TV control. And Charles said that unplugging that cable, that little telephone-like cable, allowed the Apple TV remote or the hotel TV remote to work and control the volume. And so he would just disconnect that. And then before checking out, he would reconnect that cable and restore everything in the hotel's TV setup back to normal. So I don't know exactly what an MTI MPI TV control is or why 
hotels use it. If you happen to work in that industry and know and can kind of fill us in, that would be awesome. I'd love to know about it. But if you are traveling and you run into this problem where you've taken your Apple TV with you, you've plugged it into the hotel set and you suddenly can't control the volume and it's super loud, uh, Charles says, hey, this is how you fix it. Look for this little control box and just disconnect that little little cable and you should be fine. Again, just remember to put it all back together so uh, the hotel doesn't think that their television set is suddenly broken. And thanks, Charles, for kind of sending that tip along and sharing that with us. Now, here's a little story or a little thing I want to talk to you about that is a little bit frustrating because at first when I saw this, I absolutely didn't believe it. Um, The Apple Music Service, as you know, is a paid service and it's supposed to be 100% ad-free at all tiers. Yet Jim Dalrymple noted on Twitter, and I'll have a link to his tweet, that he had begun hearing 40-second ad spots for Apple Music One radio shows sprinkled into his Apple Music playlists. And these are the Apple auto-generated or curated playlists in Apple Music, not Apple Music One shows or radio shows. They're also not appearing in, you know, playlists that you build yourself. But if you're using Apple Music and use Apple's, you know, built-in playlists, you might hear these ads showing up. And I had not heard one yet, but Jason Snell also noted that he was hearing interviews sprinkled into some of the playlists, and I had experienced that. I had been listening to some random stuff, and suddenly there would just be like talking or spoken audio content in my music playlist, and it was really bizarre and annoying. So I don't know if any of you have experienced this, but then I started playing around with some of the playlists that they were talking about, and sure enough... There were ads for Apple One Radio, Apple Music One radio shows in the playlist. So you'd have music, music, and then spoken ad for 40 seconds advertising this program. And, you know, I know that Apple has an ad program and we get ads in other paid services like Apple News, but for Apple News, it feels more just like news, you know, where you subscribe to a newspaper and it has ads in it. So you pay for that newspaper, it has ads, or you pay for a magazine and it has ads. So that's not that unusual. And many of us know that Apple has ads inside free apps, so that supports the developer and ads to promote apps in the App Store, and those are okay in my opinion. But in this case, we're talking about a music service, and a music service that Apple specifically advertises on its own website as ad-free. And I don't think they're allowed to make exceptions. Any ad, in my opinion, is an ad just because it's Apple's own content for Apple's own music programs doesn't mean they get to make exceptions. They can't just claim that they're helping us with recommendations or discovery. Bottom line, putting any ads in a music service that they advertise as ad-free is just wrong. It does seem like these ads have started appearing or had started appearing right around the time that Apple released their new lower cost Apple Music Voice service, but even that tier is supposedly ad free. 
Now, it could be and hopefully is just a glitch and these ads are only supposed to be inside Apple Music One shows. If it's, you know, in the radio programs, that's fine. You're expected to have kind of radio ads in these free radio programs and that's not really part of the Apple Music service because anybody can get access to Apple Music One. Uh, the programs, though, feel like it's more intentional. Like these ads feel like they're intentional and that really, really sucks. So if you have been hearing these, if you have been annoyed by them, I would encourage us as a community to send feedback to apple.com slash feedback and tell them, hey, this is not okay and you need to correct this situation. I should not be paying for Apple Music $5 a month to hear ads, even if it's for your own programs. That is not cool. So I encourage you to send feedback if you've heard this. Hopefully Apple will address this. I haven't seen it since I got back um, from handling the things that I needed to handle. So I assume this is still going on. But yeah, we'll follow up on a future episode of the MacCast. And, and hopefully Apple will respond to this. And I'd be curious to hear their response. All right, last thing I have for you is a thing of the moment, and this is really, really cool. And a huge thank you to listener Tony for suggesting this product to me. I mentioned recently that I had finally got a new vehicle that supports CarPlay, and I'm loving CarPlay, but I was a little bit bummed because it's a new 2022 model car, and it still is using wired CarPlay not wireless. And it's not that big of a hassle to just have to plug in the lightning cable whenever you get into the phone, into the car. But, you know, this car has a new wireless charger. So it's really weird that I still have to plug it in. And Tony told me about a product called the Car Link Kit Wireless CarPlay Adapter. And there's actually a new 2022 version. I'll have a link to it in the show notes at maccast.com. But what this is, is a little adapter. It's $125 US. Um, you connect it to the USB in your car and then connect via Bluetooth to the little adapter. You connect your phone to the adapter and it allows you to use wireless CarPlay in a car that doesn't have it. Um, now, this device is just this random Chinese adapter. And so when, I have to be honest, when Tony first sent it to me, I went... This feels really sketchy. I was pretty skeptical. Some off-brand, you know, who's ever heard of CarLink Kit? It's the only one that I'm aware of that's out there. So I was very highly skeptical. I did a little bit of research and it had great reviews from both Business Insider and 9to5Mac, who I both trust. Plus, Tony's been a listener to the podcast for years. I trust him as well. And so I figured, all right, if there's this many people that I trust saying that this thing works and it's a good product, I will give it a shot. So I ordered this thing and was shocked at how well it works. I was also completely impressed with how easy the setup was. Literally, you take it out of the box. It comes with the USB cable and it has USB-A -A and USB-C support. And you plug it into the car. The car's display shows a Bluetooth name, the name of the adapter, basically. shows the Bluetooth name. 
and you open up your iPhone, you go to the Bluetooth settings, you connect to the adapter, and then boom, wireless CarPlay is enabled and it connects wirelessly and it just works. The CarPlay interface comes up. I will say that there is a slight delay while everything connects. So the first time you get in the car, it's not instantaneous, but I would imagine wireless CarPlay isn't in instantaneous either but once it connects and is set up everything works as expected all the carplay functionality siri maps all of that stuff works as expected now i will admit that occasionally i've had it not connect but most of the time it is flawless and this is an aftermarket you know no special connections or connectivity kind of stuff you literally just plug this in connect to bluetooth and away you go so if you're looking for a way to get wireless carplay in your car that doesn't support it i recommend taking a look at the 2022 car link kit that's all one word c-a-r-l-i-n-k-i-t car link kit wireless carplay adapter and again i'll have a link to it on amazon in the show notes at maccast.com and uh, you can get wireless carplay in your car even if it didn't come with it so that's my thing of the moment and again big thank you to tony for letting me know about that but with that that is going to do it for this episode of the maccast thanks for hanging out with me uh, bandwidth for the MacCast is provided by Cashfly. You can find them at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. And all advertising on the MacCast is handled by Backbeat Media. They are at BackbeatMedia.com. As always, I love hearing from you. If you have a comment, a question, something you'd like to hear covered on a future episode of the MacCast, you can send your emails and audio comments to maccast at gmail.com. You're also welcome to call in on the listener hotline. That phone number is 281-622-4269, 281-MAC-IM-9. If you need show notes, links to anything that I talked about on this or any other episode of the MacCast, you'll find those on the website. That's at maccast.com. And finally, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me on Twitter, twitter.com slash maccast. You can check out the MacCast Facebook page over at facebook.com slash the maccast or find me on Instagram, just maccast on Instagram. But with that, that's going to do it for now. Until next time, I will talk to you all again real soon.